Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. We are continuing our Once Upon a Time series in the book of Jonah, and you can open up to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 1 through 4. This morning we're going to talk about Colombo and chroma glasses, World War II, and walking stubborn dogs. Okay? I know we just talked about that this morning. Let's start reading Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a generous God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Now, this is one of those passages where if you don't know what just happened, you're like, what the heck is going on here? Okay, Jonah has just gone through the city of Nineveh. He said, in 40 days, you're going to be destroyed repent. It was kind of a Turner burn message, just real quick. And they did. The, the people, the, the animals to the king, they all repented. They all said, okay, perhaps God will show mercy on us. And so they made a change and then God made the change after they did. And so that's what's taken place. And you would think, well, that's a great thing. But it's not a great thing. It it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. I used to love to watch Columbo on TV. Anyone else a Columbo fan? Okay. 
It, it was one of these great shows where it actually was unique in that it was kind of an inverted detective story where you knew who did the crime before the crime was solved, which made it interesting because it was like the person set up the perfect crime or it seemed that way. And then Columbo would come in with his raincoat and his cigar and his scruffiness and he would start slowly chiseling away until he actually caught the perpetrator. Usually in some scheme, he figured out how to trap them so that they would fall into this trap and then they were uncovered. And I love that story. And Columbo was a very prominent TV show. There is actually a statue of Columbo in Budapest, Hungary, a life-size bronze statue that they value at about $63,000. Who knew? Steven Spielberg directed the first non-pilot episode of Columbo. Okay, it had a lot of prominent actors and actresses who were a part of it. And it was great because of this inverted dynamic. And you see, we've been waiting to find out why did Jonah run to Tarshish? We never know why until now. Up to this point, it's been a mystery. We knew he ran. We knew he didn't want to go. We knew that he fled from God, but we didn't know why. And now it comes out. We know why he did what he did. He didn't even tell the sailors in chapter one why he was running away. And he barely said anything to the people of Nineveh. But here we start to see that it comes out. It's the story's teller the storyteller's intention to bring this out at the end because it's supposed to have a dynamic effect. This is kind of the heart of what is happening through this story. This is really the point that's needing to be made and this is why it comes to this place. And although Jonah's mood is very dark, there is a lot of light that comes from this passage. It seems like a bummer what he's going through and his emotional state kind of takes center stage of what's happening. But really, it's about to uncover some things that hopefully will be enlightening to us. When it says that it displeased him, the word displeased is the word that means evil or upsetting. It's the word raw that's been reoccurring. Another word that has been reoccurring is the word great. It was a great city. It was a great wind. It was a great fish. And now we see that his anger was great. And this is the only time where we have two of the main theme words put together and it has to do with Jonah's temperament, has to do with his attitude. He was greatly troubled because of this situation. And God's question in verse four really rephrases the statement in verse one. The storyteller is trying to play this comparison. We see in verse one, instead of it was a great evil to Jonah and he became angry, God turns it around and he asks Jonah, is it good for you to be angry? The word good is the word tov. Again, we have the raw and tov, good and the evil, or good and the calamity, good and the trouble. Is it good for you 
to be angry. In other words, does that seem right to you? And even as we heard this story, maybe for the first time, as you're starting to hear, it's better that I would be dead. After what just happened, it'd be like, does that seem right to you? That it would be good for you to think this way after what God just did? Is that the right way of thinking? But it's where Jonah is. And what God is doing is he's creating a, a context for Jonah's thoughts. He's trying to help Jonah see the irony of his thinking. And there's a lot of irony in this book. You see, God could turn from his anger, but God's servant couldn't. And God is trying to get Jonah to see that point. I could turn, but you can't. I can make this change about these people, but you won't. Jonah had cried to God from inside the fish. God rescued him. Then he did what he was told to do, go through Nineveh, but he hasn't changed. The heart hasn't turned to see what God sees, to feel what God feels. What he feels still is angry. Angry at God for what God did for the people of Nineveh. And now this tension has come to a great breaking point. It's like, I wish I was dead. I'm so angry, I'd rather be dead than see my enemies doing well. And anger has a way of blinding us, okay? Jonah was angry at God. He's angry at the world. He's angry at life. He refused to yield his belief regarding what God should have done. He still believes that God should have destroyed Nineveh. If God is the ultimate judge, then he needs to uphold justice. And in Jonah's mind, if evil isn't punished here, then justice doesn't exist. In other words, what you had me do, God, was violate my own conscience because these people are evil and they deserve judgment. And I can't live with the fact that now that judgment has been relented. It's haunting me. It's eating me up. It's killing me. In fact, I wish I were dead. You see, mercy is a problem for people who need control and certainty. Mercy is a problem for people who want to control the situation and want certainty. You see, mercy interferes with final justice. Remember chapter one, the sailors, perhaps if we pray to our gods, we will be delivered. The king, last chapter, who knows, maybe God will relent and not destroy us. You see, mercy stopped what seemed to be inevitable. And so that's very discomforting for someone who wants things to be just black and white. I want things to be black and white. And mercy makes that final determination of a case unpredictable. This is precisely the very factor 
where both the sea captain and the king of Nineveh place their hope. Perhaps, who knows, maybe mercy can triumph over our situation. And for Jonah, that was too much. Not for these people. And despite Jonah's ugly mood, there's still something beautiful, I think, that is here that's important to see. And what that is, is even though Jonah was angry, even though Jonah disagreed with God and felt God was wrong, Jonah still prayed to God. It didn't stop him from having a conversation to God. He knew that he could still talk to God even where he was at in disagreement with God. And I think that is so important. Because many times what happens in our lives when something happens to us or we're angry, we close the door. We want no more conversation. Was talking to someone recently whose family member went through a tragedy. And because of this tragedy, they stopped talking to God, stopped believing in God. And when I was talking to them and they were saying, well, I want to go and try and give them, you know, some kind of support of why God's still there. It's like, you know what? Maybe the God they believed in needs to be let go of so that the God who is really there can have a conversation with them in their grief. See, sometimes we want a God who does things very black and white. And then when there is something that causes us hurt, causes us anger, causes us to question. If we cannot have a conversation, then you're probably not worshiping the right God. Your God is probably way too small. Because Jonah had no problem pouring out his heart saying, I'd rather be dead than live like this. And God wasn't, oh, what? It's one of the things I taught my grandson to do is go, oh. I taught him to say no, taught him to go, oh. trying to teach him uh-oh too. But you see, he wasn't worried about expressing his anger towards God or maintaining his opposition to God. What he hasn't done is stop believing in God, even though he is in disagreement with him. He's still conversing with him. In verse 2 of Jonah, it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. At last, the mystery is revealed. This is what I knew. This sounds like amazing thing, right? This is a good thing unless God is doing it to your enemy. See, the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. But what happens when God becomes the friend of my enemy? Where does that put me and God? And so Jonah would rather have run away than to deal with the fact that God was going to do this to his enemy. 
And, and so he wanted to prevent God from fulfilling what he was going to do by running away. He didn't tell this to the sailors. He barely told it to the people of Nineveh. He didn't even tell them in his talk that God was merciful. I mean, remember it said that Nineveh was a three-day journey and he only went one day and all he said is 40 days you're going to die and then I'm done. That's all I have to say to you. Didn't say God will be merciful if you turn. He just said 40 days, judgment's coming. That's it. Because he knew. Now the question is, what did he know? How did he know this? You see, what he knew is really a foundation of Old Testament theology. And we need to look at how did Jonah know this? How did he know? Where did he get this insight? There's a gentleman named Don McPherson. Don McPherson is a a PhD in glass science. Who knew there was such a thing as glass science? But there is. And what Don McPherson would do is he made lenses for doctors who did laser surgery to help them to see the laser clearly when they're doing surgery. And some of the doctors liked these glasses so much that they started using them for sunglasses. And so Don thought, well, maybe these are good. And he went out golfing one day and he took these glasses with him and his friend who was there, he goes, hey, let me see those glasses. And he gave him his glasses and his friend all of a sudden went, whoa, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And he's like, what? He goes, I can see in color. His friend was colorblind. And what these glasses did is it blocked out the wavelengths that are kind of in between that are difficult to distinguish from colors so that the primary colors become more prominent. And what they found out now is if you are colorblind and you wear these glasses, it helps make those colors differentiate so that you can distinguish them now. And they can't keep enough of these glasses in because people who are colorblind like the ability to distinguish between the colors. You see, before there were these lenses, you couldn't see and couldn't distinguish these colors because of how you saw things. Until this came into focus, there was no clarity. And with God, unless God reveals himself, there really is no way we can understand him. He is in another dimension than us. He's not apart from us. He's just, well, Jesus said God is spirit. And so dimensionally, he's different. And for there to be some kind of communication to us, God has to reveal himself to us. And what happened to the children of Israel is God revealed himself to them. And this declaration that Jonah had is something that God revealed to Moses way back in the beginning. It's the bedrock of their belief. You see, Moses had gone up to get the Ten Commandments from God. And he was up there for 40 days waiting. The children of Israel are saying, hey, he's been gone a long time. He might even be dead. And so they went to Aaron and said, Aaron, make us a God. And Aaron said, give me some gold. But you should always 
Watch that. If you ask someone to make you a God, they're going to ask you to give them some gold. That's usually how it works. And so Aaron makes the calf, the golden calf. Moses comes down and sees them. Moses is angry, but God is angry. And then Moses goes, I got to go up and because he smashed the tablets because he was angry. He's got to go back up and he has this conversation with God. And God says to him, these people, I'm not going to deal with them any longer. I'm going to wipe them out, start all over. Hey, I started with Abraham. I'm patient. That was 400 years ago. I'll just start over with you. And Moses says, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to have mercy on them, which, boy, that's a conversation we need to really understand. Was God really going to just start with, or what's God doing here? Why is he having this conversation? That's for another time. But Moses intercedes for the people. He intercedes and he comes back to them and he says, God says, well, I want to bless you. What can I do for you? And Moses says, I want to see you. And God says, you can't see me. If you see me, you'll die. He goes, but what I'll do is I will reveal myself to you and I will tell you my name. Telling him his name was letting him know who he was. It wasn't just like my name is God. It was, this is my identity. This is who I am. This is my character. And Moses had to cover his face because he was such a glow from being in the presence of God that the people were just struck by him. And and after he has this response with God, he asked God to show him his glory. And glory says, I'm going to tell you my name, the name that is his. And in Exodus chapter 34, it says, the Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. See, this is God's declaration of who I am. You want to know my name? This is what it looks like. And this is exactly what Jonah was referring to. This place where God revealed himself clearly to Moses. You see, Moses is the only person who saw God in this way until Jesus. Until Jesus, no one had seen a clearer picture of God than Moses. And this is the declaration at that time of who God is. He is the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, so Jonah had known about this. And this became kind of a a staple for the people of Israel. They knew this is who God was. And so this was constantly something that they went back to. Later on, when Israel again rebelled after the spies returned from the land and said, there's giants there, they're going to eat our children, they're going to kill us. And they swayed the whole nation except for Joshua and Caleb who said, no, we can take it. And the rest of the spies said, no, we can't do it. And again, God was angry. And again, Moses intercede for them. Only this time his argument had even more force because he said, I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared, 
the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity, etc., etc. That's Numbers 14. See, I think the whole reason that God put this on was so that he could actually reveal himself. And unless God reveals himself, there's no way we can know who he is. It's just beyond our senses. It's beyond our ability. But here in this dynamic with he and Moses, he works the situation so that he can actually reveal who he is. And it happens throughout the scriptures. Later on in Joel, a few books after Jonah, the prophet Joel recites the same thing. He is gracious, he is compassionate. And then Joel adds, who knows whether he will not turn or relent? Who knows? There's the mercy factor. It it just throws everything out. Who knows? God just might have mercy and it might go well. Well, how do you know? Well, we don't know but we know that this is who his character is. We know that he's waiting. You see, until the people of Nineveh turned, God didn't turn. But once they turned, he was there to turn. He was there to relent. He was there to stop. What does scripture say? I'm not willing that any would perish. This is who God is. This is the character that God is. Who knows what he will do? But Jonah's anger was severe. And anger does that to us. Anyone ever be angry in here? A couple of you. It's amazing how blind we get when we're angry. I had a friend of mine and her dad was in World War II. And he fought specifically against the Japanese where he was stationed and where he was engaging. She started dating a Japanese man. And it was a little too much for him to handle. Even though this man had nothing to do with him and the battles he faced, the hatred that he had, the hurt that he had, the things that he seen would not let go of the fact that I cannot have my daughter marrying a man who's Japanese. His prejudice was so strong because of the things he went through that he could not let go. I don't know if he ever did or not. I hadn't heard from them for a long time, but I remember it was just there. And and this is similar to what Jonah is dealing with. It's like these people, I cannot let go of my hatred for them. And so what God does is God asks him a question, okay? He's wanting Jonah to know, therefore, Lord, please take my life, my nefesh, my soul, for it's better for me to die than to live. And then God asks him a question, really, is, is that good? The way you're thinking, is that right? And what God is trying to do is to engage Jonah's frontal cortex to start thinking in a way that's more rational than just the rear anger part. Of course, only God knew that at the time, right? But God is asking him a question to start to get him to start to think. And sometimes when we are angry, what we really need to do is ask questions, not state our feelings. Start asking questions. Why would that person have done this to me? 
why would they say this? Why would they behave in this way? Because then it helps you to start to reason instead of just angry. When you have people who you love who are addicts, they're addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, destroying their lives and destroying your life as well. It can anger you where you're just like, man, I just want them out of my life. I just, that's it. I'm cutting them off. That's it. I'm done with it. I will not deal with you anymore. But who knows? Perhaps God will be merciful, but maybe we need to go, is, is it that the right thing to think? Why are they acting this way? What is going on? And you start to find out that they are in a more tragic state than your anger is. And so even though you have to be guarded in your relationship with them so they don't take advantage and that you don't enable them, maybe finding out a little bit more about them can help you to actually help them. And it started with a question. Is it right for you to think this way? And Jonah doesn't answer and God doesn't push him, which sometimes is good. Okay, if you're having a conversation with someone's angry, maybe don't push. Is it right for you to think? I'll show you what's right. Guess who's going to go in the hospital, right? Sometimes it's best to just ask a question and then step back and let the question simmer, okay? To Jonah... His soul wished it was dead. The same soul that praised God in chapter 2 now wished he was dead. And his expectations of what God was going to do didn't want him to keep on living. You, You befriended the people who I am against. God's first step in response is communication. God asked the question, calls attention to Jonah's emotion. He labels it, trying to get Jonah to acknowledge it. He doesn't address the complaint. He just asks the question. In his mind, Jonah's mind, God had betrayed Israel or forced him, Jonah, to betray Israel and to betray his values. And it seemed that Israel was no longer special. No longer uniquely God's people. If you can befriend these people, then how can you be our friend? And it was troubling to him. And and I think this is the point that we really want to come home to. I've often read and heard about how Israel was very stubborn. King James, it says they were stiff-necked. When you're walking dogs that are stubborn, especially big dogs, and they don't want to walk, they stiffen up. They just plant their feet and they snowplow and their necks are stiff. You got a mastiff or something big or a roddy, you know, you pull on that thing and it's like, nope, ain't moving. And you pull and pretty soon you're just dragging this dog, right? They just won't move, stiff-necked. And, and that's kind of the image I've had. Yeah, these children of Israel, they're, they're stiff-necked. And Jonah 
oh, come on, Jonah, what a scoundrel, you know? I mean, scoundrel, there's a word. You know, what, what kind of person are you, Jonah, to act this way? That's foolish. Of course, God's, and of course, we like God to be merciful to us. It's when he's merciful to others that we have a problem with these kinds of things. And, and reading this, I always kind of cited like, yeah, Jonah, man, that's dumb. That's terrible way you're thinking. But you see, unless we start to see ourselves in Jonah, we're missing the point of this book. We're, we're missing the point of what's going on here. You see, I do resist God. I, I do get stuck. I want my enemies to be God's enemies. And maybe it was, you know, for my friend's dad, the Japanese in World War II, maybe for someone else, it's another group of people in a more current war, or maybe it's a, another ethnic group, or maybe it's another religious group, or maybe it's another, you name the group, but we want the enemies that we see to be the enemies that God sees. And what happens when God wants to befriend the people who we think are our enemies? That he wants to be merciful and kind and abundant in love because who knows, perhaps his mercy will triumph in their life too. How are you? How does that sit with you? Are you okay with that? Because there's times where I'm not. There's times where I don't want mercy for these people. They wronged me. I don't like the way they do things. I think, God, it would be better if you just squashed them. Maybe I'm being too honest here. You see, inwardly, I'm convinced that bad things should happen to people who have wronged me. Rowan Williams, a Welsh Anglican bishop, said that Christians act as if we were the proprietors of a system that we alone were licensed to manage or administer. We become anxious about the gospel entrusted to us, about how easily it might be corrupted by error or fashion, and so we corrupt it by trying to put up fences around it. I'm in charge of this gospel. I'm going to make sure no one manipulates it. So I'll build a fence to make sure people can't get to it. And God is abundant in mercy. And God says, perhaps they will change. And the door is now open to people that we have wanted to close the door to. There was a story about a Christian church in China in the 1920s. And, and a young person came to the door of the church, but he wasn't of the proper class. And they said, you don't belong here. You can't come here. That person ended up being Chairman Mao, who ended up killing and casting out Christians. You see, you never know the influence you have. The same thing was said about Gandhi. When Gandhi went to a church and they said, you can't come here, you're Indian, you don't belong here. And they turned away someone who was able to turn a nation. You see, we close the doors so many times when God is saying, perhaps, and opening those doors, 
See, Jesus often told parables saying, you know what? You think that you're going to be in the kingdom of God, but God has opened it up to the tax collectors, to the prostitutes, to the sinners, and they will get in before you. What? Wait, how's that? Because you didn't realize that I am gracious, that I am abundant in love, that I am generous. You lost sight of who I am, the foundation of what I am. And you see, I now realize that if I do not see how I'm like Jonah, I've missed the point of this whole story. And in the meantime, thank God, thank God that he does not give up on us even when we, like Jonah, give up on ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, I need to ask a question of myself. I think we, as your followers, need to ask a question. Is it okay for us to be angry at some of the things that we're angry at or towards some of the people we're angry towards? Perhaps. Who knows? If you will show mercy towards them. And if you do, what will I do then? Lord, this is a revelation of my heart. And the question you ask pierces past my anger. And it questions my stubbornness. It is opening my eyes to see more clearly who you really are. And with this, Lord, may we respond well. I pray for those here this morning who have bitterness in their heart towards someone. They've been wronged. There's no doubt they've been wronged. But Lord, they have postured themselves against these people and in turn maybe have blinded themselves towards your heart and your character. And I pray, Lord, that you would deliver them from that bitterness, that you would help them to see who you are clearly and that that's who we need to be. Lord, the whole point of this is that we would be in relationship with you, that we would feel as you feel, that we would love as you love, that we would care as you care, that we would throw out the perhaps, who knows, before we shut the door. So deliver us from the anger, from the hurts, from the bitterness, from the blindness. Help us to see you past all these things and before we look at anyone and condemn. May mercy forever change the
the finality that we put in someone's future. Perhaps, Lord, just as you saved us, you will save them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you know that he is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. May you know it not only for yourself, but for everyone who you encounter. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy each other's time and have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.